Crimes While Caffeinated contains graphic and explicit content that may not be suitable to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. That's good. Okay, anyways. <laughs> Abby, really who are we? Hello! And welcome. Sorry, that's that just your catchphrase of just, not catchphrase, yeah. but like your... My intro. I got to keep it consistent. Hello and welcome to Crimes While Caffeinated. I'm Abby, one of your co-hosts. And if you're watching the video of this, I am. I have my beauty light on, so I look beautiful. And I am Marissa, who if you're also seeing how beautiful Abby is looking, you're seeing the, the dumpster troll of a person I am right now. Dumpster troll? I mean... Damn. I mean, I, I, I've had better days. I've had better days, guys. I was FaceTiming with Becca earlier, um, and sh- I answered the phone. And she Shout out like, to Becca, our patron. Yes, our patron. Not patron. Our one patron. Our patriot. Well. I mean, same. Kind of. Kind of. Our um, patriot patron. Yes. Um. But so I don't know why I'm holding it like this. But um, uh, anyways, I'm, I promise that I there's only water in my water bottle today. Um, that's what I'm drinking. I will talk ask Abby what she's drinking in a second. Um, but I was FaceTiming. Did you say your name? Yes, I said Marissa the Dumpster Troll. Oh, right. <laughs> Marissa, sometimes referred to as Mary or Maria, because Happy seems to like to forget my name lately, um, even though we've known each other for eight years now. Um, it's, fine. it's fine. But uh, I was FaceTiming Becca, and I answered the FaceTime, and she was like, have you been crying? And I was like, no, I have not. And then... Um, so we had throwback day as an event today. And so I decided to go full 90s grunge and did the eye makeup to go with it. Nice. Um, so I thought it was that. By the end of the FaceTime call, when you texted me saying that you were on your way back, I was hysterically crying. Cool. <laughs> on FaceTime. Cool. <laughs> Which I don't typically do. Um, but that's how today's going. You know what? It's it's a day, and and that's even, why that's why I'm taking my meds tonight. That's right. That's and right. Um, I have chosen to drink water instead of alcohol, as it is eight forty six p.m. and it is too late for coffee. I am also drinking water, staying hydrated as fuck. And listen, I was gonna say today. It's a day that we can remind ourselves that even on our bad days, we pick ourselves back up, we take our meds, we drink some water, we record our podcast, and we keep on going. Yeah. All right? I'm proud of us. I'm proud of you, Marissa. <laughs> I'm still in my clothes from work today, so that's why I look like I'm, like, dressed, you know? Oh, I, I fully showered. I am not wearing a bra right now. Nice. My mom told me she was going to 
tell her coworker or someone that she knew to listen to our podcast. And I was like, oh, mom, you made a big mistake there. And she went, why is that? I was like, well, the intro to last week's episode, Abby and I talked about whether our boobs were going to be supported by a bra or not if we were buried. And now I've started this podcast off referring to my breasts. So I'm very sorry. So we learn a lot about boobs. This is this is a podcast. Yes, we we do talk about true crime, but we also talk about titties. I have a petition to rename the podcast True Crime and Titties. Hear me out. <laughs> Caffeinated titties? Caffeinated titties. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was going to say we have our, um, we're a podcast and we have our, we are a podcast, (laughs) we are a podcast and we have our, um, required gay person, (laughs) which is Abby. So of course we've got to talk about titties and our audience is predominantly female. So yes. Um, so titties galore. Men have titties too. We just don't talk about their titties. Well, we, we talk about titties. We, we talk about titties in a general sense. It can include anybody's titties. Mm. You know, we, we mostly talk about our own titties, but we can talk about titties in a, in a more gender neutral sense for those who have titties. Here a titty, there a titty, everywhere a titty. I can't wait for your mom's friend to listen to this. So, any whomst. Do it. <laughs> Yo! <laughs> We're off to a great start on Crime Cell Caffeinated. Uh, okay, for, for the listeners um, and Abby, um, today was a really, really, really rough day for me. <laughs> In case anybody can't tell by that uh, audible burp and the fact that you just finished talking about how you were sobbing hysterically just prior to this call. Is this why we don't have more than 20 listeners? Yes. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, what were you going to say? What? Finish your finish your sentence? Oh, I'm just, I'm just a ball full of crazy. I have had a new dosage in my meds, so there's mm-hmm. that, but don't think it's settled into my system just yet. Excellent, excellent. Can't wait to edit the this garbage of a beginning. <laughs> I'm going to sneeze, so that'll okay. make it even better. <laughs> okay, it's not it's not coming anymore. Ooh, exciting news though. Quick, uh, what is a positive that you have going on right now? Let's uh, let's try to. I'm gonna try to take a deep breath while you're telling me a positive moment. You want to open it up with positive vibes. Why not? Let's not. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Why not? I'm having a shitty day. Open it up with some positive vibes. We can open with some positive vibes. Um, let, let me think. I got to come up with something real good to, to, to really fill in the positivity here. Oh. I mean, I can tell you what I'm excited for. Tell me. Um, so uh, I am getting the link in the next 24 hours to sign up for my first COVID vaccine. Yes, vaccinated crew. So happy for you. I'm so excited. I can't, I haven't decided which one I want. Well, do you get to pick? Some people get to pick, at least on TikTok, they've been picking. Uh, There's, I never, 
I didn't get to choose. They just ha- it's whatever they had at that location. But I was also early in the wave of like people to get it. So maybe now that there's like more mm. wider mm. availability. But yeah, I had the Moderna. Was all right. The second dose was rough. Yeah, there's a few TikTokers. They've been doing like a Harry Potter house t-shirts for each of the vaccines they're like it's like um the tiktok sound where it's like you'll be assaulted into your hogwarts house (laughs) um and so it's uh johnson and johnson is slytherin i was going to ask if johnson and johnson was slytherin yeah yeah. <laughs> and then um I believe Moderna was Ravenclaw and then Pfizer was Gryffindor. Anyway, this is a really um, <laughs> boring side convo. Um so let me think. Let me think of something interesting to say. Um I had a nice Easter. Anna and I went to her mom's and we gave Easter baskets to her nieces and nephew. And we let them play with bubbles in um uh, in the like back driveway behind the apartment building because there's no such thing as the backyard in New York City and mm. um, I mean there is but you know it's, mm. not a, it's not very common but uh, we let them play it was all pavement back there we let them play with bubbles outside and they were having so much fun and then oh we, we, we let them go easter egg hunting out there and it was so cute and so fun and we it was just like I like holidays when you have kids to like celebrate with because they make all holidays so much more fun. Yeah. So watching these kids absolutely go ape shit over a bunch of little plastic eggs with jelly beans in them was just so much fun. It was so joyous. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to say holidays really aren't fun unless you have children. And I think that that's partly why my parents are like, are you guys going to have kids at some point? Because I think that they're just bored with holidays right now. Um, But my sister did, 22 years old, throw a tantrum because she wanted an Easter basket. (laughs) We all make choices in life. Anyways. uh, So let's get into talking about murder. Murder. (laughs) And, okay, this was... I'm holding a makeup brush while... this this was a crazy episode because Mm -hmm. you really get to see the in-depth uh absolute sociopathy Mm -hmm. that is this man like holy motherfucking shit boy has zero empathy boy has no like he just has no ability to like i was really like do you know how to even like be a human like how did he get a like how so many years was he able to deceive people so well because when he's talking about and he's like if people died they died like what the fuck well i do kind of agree with uh shannon flynn when he says we're we're gonna get into it but he he has this line where he says like you don't a lot of people will be like how did you not see the signed signs of it but I think a lot of people want to ignore a lot of signs that they think that they see because, like, they don't want to assume that somebody is bad. I think it's also really hard when you're talking about a religious community. I think that that plays a big part. I think that because of his popularity for finding these documents that were 
used in a lot of in a lot of points to justify um, Mormon belief. Um, I I think it's really hard to um, assume that somebody is as evil as he appeared to be in reality. Right. Yeah, and I think that um, also there was the 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 quote from the other guy that was like. Um, where he talks about how he felt such a, a guilt in himself for not being able to see it. And he was like, I didn't want to admit that I didn't see anything because that would reflect on me. Yeah. I feel like, um, I felt like it Brett, would reflect on him as a person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I definitely think that if we found out that someone that we hadn't known really well, like if I found out that you had murdered somebody and just decided to do this podcast with me to throw everybody off, um <clears throat> conspiracy theories you may start uh no i'm kidding <laughs> um i think that i think it would be really hard for me to accept that yeah true i think he yeah, also can- he also doesn't come across as a very traditionally and patriarchal masculine man capable of doing something so gruesome um he comes off as very like are gentle. you naked yeah Okay. Wow, we're this is a great episode. <laughs> Anna walked out of the bath. Anna just busted out the bathroom naked. So I don't know if you saw her. No, Did I you? didn't. I didn't see anything. She saw. She said you, she saw my giant watermelons. No, no, I didn't. Yeah, we are recording already. Anna just finished sleeping. Is what she was telling you. I'm gonna cut this out. Okay. Anyway, that's back if to I can room. remember. If I have the patience, I'll cut it out. Eh? I'm so sorry. It's okay. So, <laughs> your asshole hurts from pooping so hard? Yeah. <laughs> I don't cut that out. No, don't cut it out. Cut it out. <laughs> don't cut it. It's fine. Oh, okay. Anna, Anna says if you don't remember to cut it out, it's fine. Okay. I can hear her. I think the audience can also hear her. Oh. It's okay. Um, <laughs> but Um, anyways back to murder um so why don't you start us off abby this is gonna be an abby led episode since i i'm the one who didn't take the full notes today ow okay so we start off episode three with um some more testimony from oh One day we'll have a, one day, hopefully, when we get more listeners. Go heat them up yourself. We will have a studio where we are distracted. Right. Okay. So episode three, we start off with more um, of the recorded interviews with Mark Hoffman. And we have a, a lot of these recorded interviews played throughout the episode. So he's talking about his plans with the bombs and when he made the bombs he admits that he uh had a plan to use those bombs when he made them when he created them but he didn't know who he was going to kill so he didn't know who quote had to die he also Um, didn't seem to give a shit on who died he really didn't care who it was that died he just knew that he needed to protect himself and we'll get more into that um but on January 23rd, 1987, Mark Hoffman pleads guilty 
and uh yeah shannon says like we just finished saying like marissa just said our boy shannon says that he like looking back he didn't see the signs and a lot of people didn't see the signs because they didn't want to um you know you kind of pull a, a blind eye to to certain things or you let things go that seem off to yep. you and so this was also like declared I believe at the time, I don't believe that, I actually believe that this is probably likely still the case, but it was, it was declared as the largest or biggest forgery crime. Um, Mark Hoffman got a plea bargain, um, but in order to get the plea bargain, he had to talk to investigators about why he did what he did, as well as how he did what he did, which I took notes on that because that was fascinating Mm -hmm. um but the the toll that this took was on everyone within the community with friends with like everyone who had some connection was affected by this coming out right yeah everybody kind of had a personal and especially because this was a pretty tight-knit community uh, in utah this community of mormon historical document collectors that's not a very large group so uh, you know it touched all of these people in a different way where Mm -hmm. they they all kind of had their own grief process to go through with it you know yep absolutely and uh you know they kind of ask there's a, a part that I really thought was interesting where they ask, the interviewer asks Mark Hoffman about his, his perception of his own actions. And mm. if he views it, if he views himself as like a dangerous criminal or what he was doing as, as like criminal deception. And he says that he feels like what he was doing was more quote, harmless experimentation, which is, two, two, people died. <laughs> People died. People's lives were drastically altered. I mean, Shannon Flynn also like manages to say at one point that, um, like, and correct me if I'm wrong. I might have the quote off a little bit because I didn't take the note specifically. But he basically says that like Mark ended up saying that when you make something to look like it's true and people start to believe it's true, then it must be true. Yeah. Then it becomes true. Yeah. And I think Shannon kind of, uh, uh, Shannon also talks about that where he's like, it, it really did become the truth for, for everybody um, that was involved with it because it was authentic. These were authenticated documents. So Mm -hmm. this really did become the truth and the reality. And that was kind of what, fucked everyone up so bad yeah and um so he kind of goes on to explain that um he at a very young age really liked to deceive people and get attention from it um he ended up they tell the story where he supposedly had decided to go on a treasure hunt with his friends in the woods they kept going for like days, weren't finding anything. And then suddenly they found like a jar of coins in the woods. Um, and it was believed that they were, you know, forged. Um, he said that it gave him a sense well, of, so well, it's not believed, but he, he says like, I forged these coins. Well, the coins that they found in the woods, it was just a jar of coins because they were kit. Like it wasn't 
they weren't looking for like rare coins or anything. They were just looking for treasure in the woods. Yeah. But then, but then he had an interest in collecting coins around that time. And that was when he learned how to, that was when he started learning how to forge things was by mm. forging coins. So yeah. he started like uh, using, they show like a little dramatic reenactment of him, him like, what is it called? Soldering. Yeah. Where you take the metal thing and you kind of melt off the, melting off like the dates uh, mm-hmm. on pennies and, and putting in new dates, stuff like that. Yeah, and he said that he started to learn how to um, make coins look more desirable by forging them um, by the age of 12. And by 14, he had fooled the U.S. Treasury Department with a coin. So he had Um, gotten a letter of authentication from the U.S. Treasury Department, which is insane for such a young kid. So clearly he's very intelligent and very um, precise. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean... I'm trying to think of what I, like, I'm trying to think of even, like, what were my hobbies at the age of 12? Like, mm-hmm. for somebody to be so in-depth, especially in the age where you had to learn everything by researching through books in the library, like, finding the book number, index cards and stuff, and not, like, just pulling up a YouTube video, like, that, that's honestly crazy impressive but also just extremely dangerous right so uh then they go to mark's wife um well now ex-wife and she kind of talks about um she she starts to touch on the the fact that she really had no idea that this was going on and and i feel so bad for her because i understand that this was the 80s and they're Mormons, so there's really strict rules about everything. And it's like she can't just uh, divorce her husband because he's acting suspicious or he's being a little weird, you know? Yeah. Like it's not so the fact that he like was able to get away with all this stuff was just mostly because of like the the her the Mormon values were like I have to stay faithful to my husband and and serve him and do all this stuff you know I I mean she also had four kids by this point like right and what what was she gonna do yeah you like for you wouldn't be able to leave your husband you like she knew that her husband had money and then didn't have money and then on top of that like like I don't I couldn't honestly say that I would question behavior that I didn't need to pay attention to if I had four children that I had to take care of right you know like you grew you grew up in a family of four I can only imagine that chaos with me growing up in a family of three yeah yeah you were three kids and I was one of four kids so it just like definitely I feel like I feel like also there was a power dynamic in that he handled all the finances. He was the one that made the money. You know, what was she supposed to do? Question where the money was coming from? No, mm. like that was how they were living. And, and and if something felt off to her, it just kind of had, she just kind of had to push that aside. And which I think is what she did for most of it was she just kind of pushed off any weird feelings aside and was like, well, he's a good husband and a good father. That's all that really matters, you know? Yeah. Um, (laughs) I also included, like, he didn't just fool his wife, but he also fooled his family. He fooled his children. He fooled his friends. Like, it, I, 
I, I feel really bad for those kids. How can you trust your father that when you find out that everything you knew was a lie? And I'm sure those kids are all grown now. And I'm curious if they had tried to interview any of them. Because um, they didn't show up. Because they didn't appear in the documentary at all, except for in like home videos as babies. Mm-hmm. So. <clears throat> um, Do you want to so- talk about the Anton manuscript? Yeah, it's called the Anton Transcript, I think, actually. But I wrote manuscript first. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's fine. So this was Mark's first big forgery. um, Was, like, because, you know, he forged coins as a kid. And, like, he did all this stuff. But his first, like, sort of major forgery was called the Anton Transcript. And I have no idea what that is. Or it's, it's significant to Mormon... It's a, it's, it's a Mormon historical document. This is like the first big Mormon document that he forged. And he admits in the interview that he did tell, um, that he actually had told his wife uh, mm-hmm. about forging the transcript. And when she was like, you know, surprised or she was like, what do you mean? You know, she was kind of upset by that. He was like, no, I'm just joking. It's real. And uh, I think that the Anton one was the one that was stuck inside the Bible. Okay. Yeah, probably, probably. So I think that it was the, like the golden plate. Um, Cause yeah. it was the one that had the symbols on it. So I'm yeah. assuming it was like a replication of the gold plates. Um, so um, his wife also talks about how there was, and they show like some news people talking about this as well, um, that there was a room in their house that Mark's wife was not allowed into. And um, it um, was- For this- viewers, Abby wrote men are trash in quotation. Um, I, I did because um, who who's like, this is my private room. You can't come in here. Well, okay. How many serial killers- have been known for having rooms that their partners or family or friends were not allowed to go into. And how many of those serial killers were men? Uh, all of them. <laughs> I rest my case. Men are trash. Uh, so so- it, it was funny before I even saw that I had put in a note and I was like, never trust a man who doesn't <laughs> allow you in a yeah. room. That's what I'm saying. Like, what a shithead anyway so she said she didn't care that she wasn't allowed in the room she was like yeah, oh it's she just was one like, room that i didn't have to clean, clean. and i'm like good god Honey. the the level of oppression um so and she just said that she had to do a lot of pretending with him basically just pretending that things that came up all these red flags just didn't happen um and that's a sad life you have to live if- yeah it's really sad. Like, I feel really bad for her watching this. And um, they have a, a quote from Mark where he he talks about his wife's involvement and says she wasn't involved at all. He says she never asked and I never offered any information. Um, so, yeah, he basically, she never questioned him about it or went out of her way to try and figure out what was going on. Um, so he just kept that's doing not what he was just, doing. That's not justifiable, my friend, my dude. Um, so Ken Sanders pops up and again, he's one of the talking heads and he explains that that is, that's the guy I'm pretty sure that's the guy that I was like, this is the guy that like, I love his vibe. 
he's from the very beginning. Yeah. And then the Santa beard. Yes. Yes. Okay. I made sure um, to write his name down because I was like, yes, that's my man. Like, I just love his vibe. Anyway. Oh, I love that for you. I love um, his vibe. So Sanders explains that um, Mark was a bit of a storyteller in the sense that he literally was creating these treasures that people had been searching for. And I think that that really did give him a lot of power of being like, oh, well, like, oh, I wonder where this letter is. Oh, you want this letter? I just happen to have it. <laughs> right. Um, and then the interviewer on the tape at one point says, um, like, he like the interviewer literally she says oh you know you that someone would mention a letter or document and you would miraculously just pull it out of nowhere I can't believe people didn't catch on sooner yeah and that I fully you know which I I said in the last episode I said if if someone was so easily finding all of these treasures like I def think that if Indiana Jones was a real person and was like, look at all my treasures or Nicolas Cage's character in, in, in uh, <laughs> National Treasures, I'd be like, um, where are all these coming from? The likelihood that you were the one person to find all of these, right. all these things are slim to none, my friend. Exactly. Um, and yeah, it's it's just like, it, it, it's so crazy that people but like like Shannon said people didn't want to believe it you know people wanted to people didn't want to believe that something was off or something was, was I d- I honestly can say I don't think that Mark Hoffman would have been able to pull this in uh, modern day in modern time no absolutely not the internet is way too strong for that I um, think that he I think uh, people would have like sleuthed behind him and like I I think people would have done their research and been like this guy's a a fucking fake right exactly internet sleuths would have been like fuck this this isn't true yeah um (laughs) so we go back to our guy I think this is Brent I just wrote Mm -hmm. Brent not sure if that was actually it it was Brent Brent was on the tv Mm -hmm. so it's Brent and he talks about how shortly after the bombings happened and when mark was named as a suspect like he uh brent went on tv and defended him in an interview saying like i highly doubt he could have had any involvement in this and you know there's no way he's a good man blah 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 all this stuff and he talks about how the reason why he did that was because he felt like it would reflect poorly on him if uh it was revealed that you know, if Mark actually was the bomber, and then <laughs> if Mark actually was the bomber, it would look so bad on Brent and all of these people who were very close with Mark that they didn't see the signs. So he mm. felt like, uh, of course, I have to defend him because in a way, he's also defending himself. Like, yeah. No, I know him. He's <clears throat> And he couldn't have done this. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow myself to be friends with such a liar. Yeah. So then... <clears throat> Um, we go into we go into um, some more like dark secrets of, of, <laughs> of Mark Hoffman, and that is that people close to him said that he actually admitted to being an atheist when he was young. Like when he was like fourteen, he said he was an atheist, mm. and um, so then that brings up the question of like, 
if why did he continue with Mormonism for so long? Why didn't why wouldn't he just like leave? What was his plan in forging all of these documents that went against the Mormon church's teachings. So people are saying, you know, um, it might have been intentional to try to get people to leave the church or get people to question the church and question the existence of God, Um, you know, questioning your own religion. I would even say that I don't even know if that's necessarily the truth. I would probably say, and I think that this would be an interesting argument, that because he doesn't believe in God, he can then justify doing it. Because he doesn't believe that there's any repercussions from a God for lying in such a way that he doesn't live with that guilt of that, oh, well, God will make me pay for... Also, happy uh, Passover slash Easter, since that was yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but, like, he doesn't have to live around, walk with that guilt. And as we said uh, in the last episode, the Mormon church is one of the wealthiest churches. That I think that it might have been more beneficial for him, who's already involved in the Mormon church, and can pr- pretend to be a good Mormon and not carry that guilt around with him to reap the reap the benefits of such a um, rich uh, culture, community, and environment. Right. And I, but I also feel like, I feel like that is a part of it. Definitely the monetary side of it. And I feel like another part of it was that, you know, they talk about how when he was young and he, he like found all this anti-Mormon, all these anti-Mormon documents and started reading them and questioning everything that he kind of wanted, um, he kind of wanted people to not just blindly follow things Mm. like he, that he also did it with the intention of telling people to question the existence of God because like that was what he did, you know? And it was kind of, and I also feel like he's a huge, like egotistical thinks very highly of himself. Like definitely he's definitely a sociopath. Oh yeah. He is. Uh, like textbook sociopath where mm. he thinks that he is the, the always right and everything that he believes is like the right way and that's kind of and he's unable to see different points of view so he's seeing this like i can see that god's not real and i can see that this is all a myth and this is all and 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 i am questioning so mm. i want to make other people question this too because that's the right way to do it um, i also do think that he really enjoys towing the line and seeing how far he can push it absolutely Um, he likes taking those risks to kind of see what will happen yeah and i think that that's where you know the white salamander kind of comes in because he literally says like i wanted i picked the salamander because i wanted to spice it up and I think that that goes with, you know, the line that you had put in the notes of saying, like, people ignore things that don't align with their beliefs. So it was kind of like a let's test to see how much people will convince themselves that this is true and that this is right um, by literally picking uh, an animal that has never once been referenced in another religious document for right. another religion. Right. 
So, yeah, so he, he, but I thought the quote where he's like, I just picked a white salamander to spice it up. I was like, I was like, God damn, this, this guy, like, what the fuck? It's, I, I don't know, it just reminds me of like, um, uh, without, how can I say this without violating any HIPAA? There was a, there was a patient. Um, when I was doing my field work, there was a patient who had a history of, um, I was doing my patient, I was doing my field work at a psychiatric hospital mm. and there was a patient who had a history of running away from home. This was a young mm. person and, um, <laughs> they had run away from home multiple times. And when asked why, and this was in their official record, like for their hospitals, like when asked why they ran away from home you know, 20 some odd times, they said they did it, quote, for the thrill of it. <laughs> just like, like, that he was just doing it for the thrill of it. Like, he really was like, fuck it. White yeah. Out. And I like, that's what I'm saying. Like, you, you know, like, he was so cocky and probably, and like I said, probably like, yo, these people will really accept anything that, why don't I throw this in? Let's just see how this goes, you know? Um, yeah, it, like, it's just so, it's interesting the way that he kind of experienced, like, he wanted to play God. He really did want to play God. Oh, um, yeah. And um, that kind of also, like you said, comes into play with, with the the next bit, which I don't remember watching this the first time, which I thought was so interesting. It honestly is probably, I would argue, and I'm not a religious person, but this is probably one of the most evil things you could do. Uh, the, the lost pages thing? Yeah. So he, so yeah, that's the other thing is that Mark had a plan and this wasn't executed fully. Like he didn't have time to do it before he got caught. Um, uh, he, most evil thing you can do religiously not like yeah. murder somebody because that's yeah, probably yeah. The, or evil anyways <laughs> so he, he had a plan to forge um lost pages from the book of mormon itself which as we know is the mormon bible so it's literally like say like somebody rewriting the whole ass bible and being like this is the bible guys this is the real bible <laughs> so he was planning on forging 116 pages those 116 pages that had been lost from the well, book just, of like imagine there is a i'm trying to think of like okay and you know he was gonna throw some crazy shit in there <laughs> yes well i'm thinking okay i'm trying to think of like a big book i like i said am not religious so and i do think that a lot of people nowadays are not religious so i'm trying to think of what is a book that we probably have all read imagine picking harry potter 7 and cutting 116 pages out of it that would drastically change the story drastically and so i'm just thinking that is a lot of material for him to work with that he almost dismantled the whole mormon church with a white salamander that i can't imagine the chaos he would cause with 116 pages right so he was yeah he was planning on forging these 116 pages of the book of mormon um and it's one of the other like document 
guys uh, estimates that he's saying he probably would have asked for 10 to 20 million dollars to start um, when he had, you know, successfully once he had successfully forged it and was trying to sell it. That's probably how much he would have asked for, because this was a this would have been the biggest find for for Mormon history. I don't know. So, but yeah, this would have been the, the biggest find for him. Um, and then the other thing was, is that some of his other documents that he had written had been, um, I can't, re- I know the last name was Harris, but I can't remember. I think maybe James Harris, something uh, like that. But basically he had created documents that had already been written in a certain handwriting. So by writing the 116 pages in what was already said to be the authentic handwriting of this individual, like he's almost re-legitimizing the 116 pages if he had written it. Right. He Um, could have made that legit. So it would have been legitimized very pretty quickly as long as he mm-hmm. was careful to copy the handwriting exactly um which was handwriting that he had done before so he would have been able to copy it he would have been able to do this if he had had the time to do this he would have been able to do this mm-hmm. basically is what they're saying <laughs> um and then they go into which is really interesting how he forged all of his how he forged his documents, how he made the paper look old, how he made the the ink look old, how he made the documents look authentic and appear like they were 150 years old when they were written in the 80s, um, yeah. when they were modern, modernly written at the time. Um, he got very intense with it. This this man made his own ink. He made his own like science experiments basically like yeah this goes into how smart he was because he makes these like incredible he's describing this one thing where he's like it was a fish tank and in the fish tank was this electrical wire Mm -hmm. and and the wire was running into a uh jar full of salt water and then it was oxidizing the paper and i'm like what the why well it so this was super interesting to me so one of them was that a test that they typically do was to see how long the ink has been sitting within the paper and Mm -hmm. so what mark would do would he would he would take the vacuum cleaner and put it on the back side of the paper he had just written on to literally use the air to pull the ink into the paper, deeper into the paper to say that authentically it had been there for a while. Um, And then what Abby's saying is that um, William Flynn, who's one of the forensics um, gentlemen, um, he explains the, like Abby said, the wires were live. They were in a fish tank, salt, salt water. The ox... The oxidizing helped to literally make the paper. It was age. Yeah, it was replicating what natural elements would do to a piece of paper over 150 years in mere hours slash days. Right. So yeah, he was he was basically making 100 papers turn into 150 year old papers. Um, with this, these crazy. Think about how long that takes for someone to experiment with that. Like, there's got to be a lot of tr- trial and error at a certain right. point in time. But 
Absolutely. And it's got to be, it's got to take a lot of practice and a lot of knowledge. Like this man, I know they say like he was really good at celestial pursuit, but like not just <laughs> celestial pursuit. Like he was, he probably got some good grades in science class too. <laughs> like, oh, I definitely. But it was crazy smart, crazy smart. And I don't want to be giving him like compliments. I don't mean to be giving him compliments, but he was like just, I'm taking my pants off. He was just a genius. I, I think it's I think, not, and I'm not saying that in a good way. Like, no, I, I do agree with you in the sense that I do think that he, I think that he is a very, very smart man who could have done amazing things yeah. if he hadn't used it to manipulate people for monetary. Value. Right. If he was just smart and not a sociopath, he probably could have done some cool things. I'm like, <laughs> Like, you know, if anything, he could have, he could have been one of the forger experiment, um, like authenticity people. Like he could have, he could have used, he could have used his power for good. Right. Exactly. If he knew how to kind of make these forgeries, then, um, if he had known all these different chemical reactions and how these things would have reacted, then he could have used that to authenticate documents or been a forensic, like our man, um, William Flynn, who was talking about how thrilled he was to recreate the ink cracking, because that was the one thing that made the documents not seem authentic was that the ink had cracked. So the way that he did it was by like, they got the same ingredients that Mark Hoffman used for the ink. They used different ratios until they made the correct ink. And then they used different, uh, you know, science experiments. <laughs> yeah. Literally like trying to decide if it was a, if it was caused by chemicals or if it was heat that caused it because both could be used um, in the forging process. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, um, then we go back to July 1985, which is four months before the bombings. Um, Mark is doing really well in his document dealing zone. Um, and he's always like looking for more and looking for bigger things to do. Um, he uh, also was spending the money that he was making very fast. He was mm-hmm. using it on frivolous things, expensive dinners, bought a sports car. Um, he was drinking, you know, drinking, spending on alcohol, like spending it on whatever. Um, he says it's for traveling and shopping. Um, but while he's saying that they play like a dramatic clip of a man drinking. So I'm like, are they trying to say that he secretly was just getting drunk with like he was drinking all the money away? Um, mm-hmm. Which I guess maybe, but I, I feel like also it's valid that he could have been like, like, like I said, he was going out to expensive dinners. He was he just decided to buy a sports car when they were trying to look for a van, a family van. Yeah, but they like, as um, as his ex-wife said, your beauty light went out. Uh, I unplugged it by accident. <laughs> um, but his ex-wife said, like, she they went for a van and they left with two cars. Yeah. So you got to really be balling in it if you're walking away with two cars. I mean, you know benefit of the doubt cars weren't as expensive back then but still um so yeah so he was spending his money he couldn't repay debts that he owed people he might not um 
So I said might, but it, he didn't actually make the McClellan. Like the, the McClellan yes. collection, he never finished that forgery. So no, he was you need time and money and the the process to do it, and right. he so needed he, he needed money fast. He was he was spending his money faster than he could make it and putting himself into debt faster than he could repay. So he needed to be taking big risks quickly. And in order to do that, he had to pretend that he had the McClellan collection. And instead of actually finishing creating the McClellan collection. So they talk about, you know, after the, the bombing, when Mark's car was bombed, um, they found they said they found the McClellan collection in the back of his car that was literally just a bunch of random documents that he put together to make it look like it would be the McClellan collection um in order to deceive people mm. uh <clears throat> and I love that you wrote dude yeah I forgot what his name was I think it's I think it was Brent that says this <laughs> Brent says he went to mark's house um like the the night before the bombings and that mark Mm. was in a completely like he was happy calm in a totally good mood and he like and and that was because that was the point where he had decided that he was going to set off those bombs the next day he knew who was gonna die uh, or like he at least had a plan of like who they were going to go to for the mm-hmm. most part. And he had made up his mind on this. So he was calm, happy in a good mood because he knew that he was doing what he like. He knew he was protecting himself is what he says. Yeah. Um. So Mark viewed life as being worthless and didn't see anything wrong with the bombings that he did. Um. And Mark didn't want to be exposed by Steve um, and Steve Christensen, who's Christensen. The- I was going to say, so C- Steve Christensen is um, victim number one um, as a forger, which is why he targeted him. Um, and Steve threatened Mark and his reputation as right, so they- the, the, you know, the Nicholas Cage of <laughs> the, the wife. So they show an interview with Steve Christensen's widow, um, his wife, who says that um, she believes that, or she, she, I don't know if she like fully knew this information or if this was her theorizing, I'm not sure, but she says that um, she, uh, Steve was threatening Mark that the, like that he knew that these documents were forgeries. He was going to call the police. He was going to expose Mark. Basically he was going to ruin Mark's reputation and mm-hmm. get him put in jail. And so Mark who says literally like they, they talk about, you know, how did you view the fact that you were killing people? And he's like, you know, it's like the worthlessness of life. Like just life is meaningless to him. So he, he was like, it didn't mean anything to him all it meant was that he was doing what he needed to do to protect himself, which is why I go into this man had no empathy. This man was a sociopath. Like Mm. this man had no care for, for the people that he was harming, even though these were like people he was supposedly very close with. Um, So they talk about, um, 
yeah so then the interviewer asks mark like do you feel guilty for what you did or do you feel like do you feel any any sense of guilt and he says he doesn't feel guilt for what he did but before he was when he was getting ready to to put those um bomb like those package bombs um set them up that he wondered what if i'm wrong and if god is real like what if there really is a god then i'm going to be punished for this you know so the the concept of a god was the only thing that that could have stopped him from doing this for a brief the, moment yeah the potential concept of a god made him like wonder and almost hesitate but not even like not that they're ending a person's life and that we can't we can't see touch feel that person in our current life after he does this cool um so then they they describe like how the bomb was made yeah how the bomb looked or whatever yeah yeah i was gonna say like that these were pipe bombs in packages and he specifically like wrapped them with nails um which this is obviously very common um you want shrapnel not this is not advice but you want shrapnel (laughs) you want um you want debris that um can really guarantee that someone is killed in a bomb explosion because if there isn't then you have a a less likely chance of instantly killing the person versus by you know adding adding stuff like that I, i remember there was i think i think the movie's blood diamond i remember like as a kid like a young teenager not like kid kid but i remember like um I remember like there was a scene in the movie where they used pipe bong- pipe bombs with shrapnel and that like someone had picked up like um like a a jack from the like the you bounce the ball and then you pick up the jacks. Oh yeah, yeah. That they had put the jacks into this as well as other things and I was like Right, they'll use metal whatever they have that could anything. potentially harm somebody if mm-hmm. it's flying at them very quickly yeah um yeah so the then they talk about how he had made a trial bomb um at first and he detonated it like in the middle of nowhere to see how it would go off and how to 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 trigger it and all this stuff and he made sure to uh so the reason why he left the um the package for the sheets and that's the second bomb the second victim who was the wife of the man mm-hmm. um I, I, is it glenn sheets I don't remember. that's the husband yes yeah glenn sheets um who was supposedly the intended victim um mark didn't actually care if glenn sheets was the one who who got that package or not and that's why he just left it at their house instead of at his work or somewhere where he knew he would be at the time when it was found um uh right because he was because glenn sheets wasn't even home when the bomb mm-hmm. went off he was at work so uh it was more he made it with a defective detonator and so he knew that it, there was a chance it wouldn't go off um and there's a chance it would and he didn't care either way because it didn't matter to him if um like 
Glenn Sheets died, it mattered to him that this bomb would act as a diversion. So he said he didn't care who died and he didn't care who found it. He didn't care if it was Glenn's wife or their child. He didn't care who it was. Um, he just wanted, or if it went off at all, he just wanted it to, to be found and reported. Um, uh, I feel like it's easy to say, like, I don't understand people and who are psychopaths and I never will luckily but this is just so beyond evil but he has such little care for human life he literally says in the interview I don't care if it was a child that found it see again I just I just think back to his children his children have to listen to that and and wonder and worry like oh my god so I just keep I just keep writing in my notes over and over again. Like he's a fucking sociopath. Like yeah. true definition of a sociopath is this man right here. It is absolutely bonkers to me. The how I've never heard of this case or anything about you know, like it's just yeah. bizarre. Anyway. Yeah. I honestly had never heard of this. Like I said, I'd never heard of this before. October 16th, 1985. This is the day after the bombing. So Mark plants the third bomb in his own car in an attempt to kill himself. Um, This was a last minute decision. um, And he was unsure if he was going to use one against Brent or not. Oh my God. Uh, Poor Brent. This poor, poor man. (laughs) I love your quote. That fucker with the oil again. (laughs) That fucker was like, I blessed him with the oil. It's just so weird. Um, but the I commanded yeah. him to live. I commanded him to live. And then Shannon like describes like, oh, that poor man. He didn't know. He didn't know that he was giving a blessing to Satan. And I feel it. I ca- I couldn't fully tell if Shannon was crying or not. He looked like he was like. Um. I mean, years. so I had watched this the first time, and I was painting. I'm not gonna lie. So I wasn't super. Um, attentive knowing I was going to watch it again but yeah he's I remember like looking up at hearing him say this and he's very emotional uh I think that I wouldn't say he's crying I would maybe like angry sobs but you can tell he's mad you can tell he's like I think because I'm assuming that Shannon is still a Mormon he's probably like for sure that poor like that man you think that poor mormon man he didn't know that he was he was giving a blessing to satan he didn't know he was giving a blessing to this evil human yeah, but he probably also was like this poor person who, this poor mormon man who thought that he was saving a life when he should have just left the person yeah be. pretty much pretty much um uh so mark says he does feel some remorse for what he did but he said that the victims aren't suffering yeah so the that's because the the interviewer asks like do you feel remorse um for the victims or do you feel remorse for like your family like for Mm. what you did to your own family and he says well i do feel some remorse and then she asks like yeah but for who and he's like well the victims aren't suffering right yeah because they're fucking dead you piece of shit so but again, there's more than just the, the two dead people. There's those two dead people's families. Yep. And that's when they show, like, again, the interview with um, Steve Christensen's wife, who says, like, who says that, you know, she doesn't hate. Um, she's never met. She had never met Mark. 
but she doesn't hate him. She doesn't feel like, um, she doesn't feel any kind of way towards him because she doesn't want to waste her thoughts and her energy on him. I, w- um, I wish I had that strength, bud. Right, right. That, that, that takes a lot of strength. That takes a we get lot to- of strength. Because then we get to the opposite side, which is Brent, who's like, I wish I was never born because I could have prevented this. When it's like, no, Brent, it's this is not your fault, my guy. Brent, you're fine, you sweet, sweet man. Poor Brent. Our poor man, Brent. So, he, yeah, Brent says he feels responsible. And, uh, yeah, he like, he said that for a long time after this happened, he just was wishing that he was never born. He was feeling so like remorseful about this and resentful and just guilty when he has no guilt in this because he couldn't have prevented this um and his wife says the same thing she wishes she could have stopped mark from hurting people because people died and she says it like you know plain and simple people died um and mark admits that he knows that this is hard on his family but he doesn't like say like oh i feel bad for my family or um like i'm sorry i feel sorry to my family he just says i know that this is hard on them like objectively he he understands that logically he knows that this is hard on them but yes. em- but he has no empathy for them well if he has no empathy he's going to have no love for them either you know right. like you you can't you can't have one without the other so if you have no anger or fear or guilt or remorse, then you're also not going to feel love and compassion and like devotion to somebody. Yeah, exactly. And then I wrote that old dude, but I forget, I forget what his name is. The guy who said it was going to be $300,000, that guy. Oh, um, he was one of the like assistants it was like he was a retired assistant of the LDS church. Right. I can't remember his name, but yes. I forget what his name is, but yeah, he says um, that he felt a lot, that it haunted him, this event, like haunted him for a long time. But then when he was... Um, it's like he, it's like Mark passed all of his feelings and remorse and stuff onto other people. Because yeah. people who should not feel guilty for this are feeling more guilt than the person who did it. Right, absolutely. And so then we go into the... So then he says, like, um, that this is how he moved on from it, that he, one day, he called up uh, Mark Hoffman's father and said, um, tell your son that I forgive him, that I don't hate him, I forgive him, and I'm moving on with my life. And he said, after that day, all of his uh, sort of pain about this kind of was lifted. Um, that, which I know that's also like a big religious thing is like forgiving people who have hurt. Right? Hell no, bitch. <laughs> Fuck those people. But I, I know that's also like a big religious thing is like forgiveness towards those who have hurt us. And some people say it's very soothing to forgive and let go of these things. So he says that was what helped him which like i'm gonna be a petty bitch until i die (laughs) which i guess if that's what helped him like good for him good for them um yeah good for him and then they go on to talk about how the way that mark passed the lie detector test was unlike anything they'd ever seen before which i wrote in parentheses because he's a fucking psychopath but Mm -hmm. sociopath 
think is the more appropriate. He's a sociopath. Um, that's how he passed the fucking lie detector because he didn't feel any emotions. Like, of course he can lie. He lied all the time, but he didn't feel any emotions about it because he was just protecting himself. Like, he just viewed this as strategic moves to protect himself. Like, that was all he viewed it as. He, he also view- convinced himself that everything he was saying was the truth. Yeah. So he was telling the truth from his right. perspective. He was telling his own truth. Mm. Um, and they also talk about how when he was, so he, he was sentenced to life. I don't think he got the death penalty um because of the i don't plea. think utah has it no utah did utah, oh utah, utah does did have it. it utah did have it at the time and in order to avoid it he made that plea deal which mm. was why he agreed to do all those interviews yeah i'm sorry i take that so, back i was gonna say utah if i am correct is one of the states that still has the death penalty one second you he, keep talking it's okay so he had uh tried to I don't know if he had tried to apply to be pardoned or he had tried to apply to like get his sentence reduced or something um, and that didn't go well for him but in prison he approached other prisoners about having members of the um, board of pardon killed so Uh, they have the death penalty but they've reached 10 years without any executions the last one was June 18th 2010 to a firing squad death by firing squad yeah thought that was interesting anyways keep going um i think i talked about that one in my uh last meals yes yes i think you did death by firing squad and it was that person like requested it they requested the death by firing i mean i would but because you get to choose why i don't want i don't want like eight thousand people shooting well it's a lot (laughs) we can talk about at the end but anyways keep going (laughs) so um uh yeah so mark has a rough time in prison he tries to get people killed doesn't go well doesn't end up working out for him um he eventually ends up attempting suicide um and he was unsuccessful um he he's he lived uh however he had gone into like a comatose state or like an unconscious state and he had been laying um like his arm was behind him and he had been laying on his arm for so long that he cut off the circulation in his arm and permanently injured his arm so he could never make another forgery again i mean poetic justice but he's in jail forever and i would highly doubt you're making any forgeries dude right um mark is still alive bt dubs for Mm -hmm. everybody yes i did know that um then they end um they end the the series by saying you know it's unknown the exact extent of the forgeries like how many he made how many are still in production today and um he drastically changed history yeah he did by by like they they talk about you know he it wasn't just mormon documents they talk about George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. He forged a poem by Emily Dickinson. He, like, this man did a shit ton of forgeries. This was his life. He was a forger. There's actually another um, clip that I, I think I didn't take a note on it, but there's a, a, a part where the interviewer is asking him about, like, oh, how much money did you make um, aside from the forgeries? Like, what was your salary? Um, not including the forgeries and he's like well that that's impossible to say because they're so intertwined and she was like oh I thought you started off as like 
in dealing with authentic documents and then the forgery just kind of happened but the way you're describing it is like you were primarily a forger and he's like yeah I was primarily a forger like that was his job Mm. um so there's so many out there today like I I highly doubt that he actually ended up finding anything real no I doubt that anything he ever gave was authentic um he probably he probably acquired authentic documents because they say he traded these Mm. like forged documents for authentic so he probably acquired his own actual authentic documents but it's again going to be really difficult to tell what's real and what's fake because he was such a good forger yeah um so then they end it with saying that Mark did not respond to any requests to be interviewed. And then they do this really weird thing where they just post a bunch of pictures of Mark over him the over years the years. Yeah. With, with a song in the background. And it's just like a bunch of his pictures. It's really creepy. I don't like it. <laughs> There's one picture where his eyes are too, like his eyes are just, he's dead in the eyes. Like we talked about Richard Ramirez dead in the eyes. There's one picture where he's just like, and boy is like, his eyes are wide open and there's nothing there. He's just dead in the eyes. So that, that is, is murder among the Mormons, guys. Murder among the Mormons. And it is wild, a wild time. So um, if I had to be uh, killed by capital punishment, um, okay. which I do not understand what I would have done enough to be um, put through capital punishment. I would want firing squad for sure. Um, you you asked my answer. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard. I think that it's, I don't know if it's criminal or if it's this American life, but um the NPR podcast series, um, one of them, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but they had a episode specifically on a guy who interviews, um, interviews uh, criminals that are um, being put to death mm-hmm. and will stay with them through their execution. And the amount of times that people are lethally injected and are not fully killed um, like their bodies are like immobile and they're suffocating to death because the chemical composure, the chemical ratio is not correct mm-hmm. would just, I would not be able to do that. So firing squad is less, um, it's more humane for the person who's being killed and it's more humane for the people who are firing because they don't know who has the no one knows who is actually the person responsible for killing that person because they majority all have um bullets in in their so that that would just be my interpretation i know you didn't ask i mean you asked for it but uh that would just that would be my um my educated choice but i also don't think i would commit any crimes that would require capital punishment yeah i would hope not um, so yeah, that was Murder Among the Mormons, and that was so interesting. I can tell that you're, like, super anxious or really have to pee because you're vibrating. Uh, I'm, I'm doing the, the leg bouncing thing. Yeah? Yeah. You okay? I'm not, yes, I'm not, I'm not super anxious. I, I do have to pee. <laughs> I'm really tired. But, um. Um, 
that that's totally fine um, that was murder among the mormons so interesting so fascinating i had never heard this story before i had never heard any of the details of this case and it is just like it's literally sounds like made up like it sounds like something from a book or like a yeah book. it's it too dramatic real. it's too dramatic um but so it's just it was crazy to see it was, but it was I, really interesting Sorry, yeah, I really no, liked the documentary. <laughs> no, that's for sure. Um, no, I just wanted to quickly interject that uh, for our Patreon listeners, um, Abby has um, a friend that we are going to interview who is a um, ex-Mormon. Ex-Mormon, that's the correct term. She, she's, officially, she's officially left the church, the Mormon church. Um, but I mean, she's been an ex-Mormon for a while, you know, like mm. emotionally. <laughs> Um, so definitely make sure that you check that out when that's uploaded and we'll, uh, let you guys know via Instagram and whatnot. Um, don't forget to follow us on all of our social media, um, caffeinated crime pod for Instagram, CWC pod for Twitter. We've got a YouTube channel, our Gmail, the YouTube channel has nothing on it. I'm working on it. Anyways, um, Eventually. It'll happen one day. Um, the Gmail um, uh, is uh, crimeslawcaffeinated at gmail.com. Uh, like I said, please go on our Patreon. You can find us on there. There's currently nothing on there, but we have our lovely Patreon $5 donator, Rebecca Redfern. So shout out to her. Yeah, um, Rebecca, as always. Don't forget to always tag us in any of your own cat or your friends or family's cats so that we can post them on our catter days as that is one of the highlights of my week thanks to Erin yeah um (laughs) you can go and check out my sister's cat Poe on there the little demon um (laughs) um and yeah thank you guys so much for tuning in and as always don't don't forget forget to to take take Yo, Yo, meds. Take your meds. Take your meds.